Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. As our scripture indicated, one Sabbath, a leader of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him at his house. The scripture says that this leader wanted to observe Jesus, presumably because of reports he'd heard that Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath, which was a violation of God's law. The host wanted to keep an eye on Jesus, and then if he could catch him doing something wrong, then he might find a way to rid himself of this rebel rabbi who was gaining a large following of disciples and challenging the authority of the Pharisees. When Jesus arrived for dinner, he noticed how some of the other guests were working their way to the front of the room so that they could claim the places of honor closest to the host of the banquet. They wanted to sit where others could see them. They wore brightly colored clothes and fine jewelry and even laughed loudly to draw more attention to themselves. But Jesus also noticed that in the back of the room, there were people, but they were dressed more simply and wore only modest jewelry, if any at all. Their conversations were more subdued as if they wanted to remain anonymous to the rest of the crowd. It might be tempting to condemn the first crowd of boisterous and ambitious dinner guests. However, we need to understand their culture. For centuries, Greco-Roman culture, including Israel because it was part of the empire, gave honor and shame dominant roles in establishing the social order. Uppermost in a father's mind, for instance, was not that his son would be happy or make money or be successful by achieving greatness, but his primary hope was that his son would not dishonor the family. And then if he was able to do that, then they might be lucky enough that the son might be able to earn a place of honor in the community, but dishonor was to be avoided at all costs. The Greek word describing this drive to achieve recognition was philotemia, the urge to be thought superior. So the guests at the dinner party were merely acting according to their upbringing. But even so, after observing the guests scrambling to establish the pecking order, Jesus challenges them with a parable. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. It's as if Jesus is saying, 
Shame on you for trying to get the best seat in the house. Shame on you for assuming that you're better than anybody else. Jesus was taking their quest for honor and helping them to see that in reality it was an act of shame. Jesus continued. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Now, this may not be obvious, but Jesus was quoting from the book of Proverbs in this parable. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, was a manual written for young Jewish boys from the country to memorize so that they would know how to act when they went to the big city of Jerusalem for the religious festivals, but especially if they were to be invited to the royal court. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7 reads this way, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Steve Molin, commenting on this text from Luke, says that even though Luke doesn't record it this way, He thinks that after Jesus issued this little bit of instruction, that he may have gone and taken his table setting and moved it to the back of the room and then suggested that everybody turn around and face the back of the room because now that would be the head of the table. Again, that's not what the Scripture says. That's just Steve's imagination. But here is what the Scripture says. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is declaring a new pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the question is why? What's wrong with the way things are? Why did he challenge the status quo? Why did he challenge the established social order? He did so because the social system of that day generated pride among God's people. Seeking honor above others leaves us proud and self-sufficient. And the scripture teaches that pride is the root of all sin. Again, in the book of Proverbs, we read, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. G.K. Chesterton said, If I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. You see, the antidote to pride is humility. And humility and pride are mutually exclusive, and therefore we must diligently overcome 
our inclination toward pride and arrogance, and every single one of us has it. I mean, think about it. There are even times where we downplay ourselves, but it's really just a way of bringing recognition to who we really are. So we have to fight that urge. We must move toward a spirit of humility because if we ever want to be holy, it only comes through the pathway of humility. One of my greatest desires is to be more holy. From the very time that Jesus saved me, I have felt a desire to try and become better than I am so that I can honor the gifts that he's given to me. And it's not because I want to be holier than thou. I mean, if we think about it, even if I am holier than thou, that's still not a righteousness that is sufficient to get me what I need the most. I'm not striving for a standard of others. I'm striving for the standard of Jesus Christ himself. That's the standard. And I also don't just want to appear holy. I don't want to just have the outward exhibition of holiness. I want it to be a holiness that comes from deep within, like John Wesley taught. John Wesley, the 18th century founder of the Methodist movement, taught a lot about holiness. And he believed that the longer we live in that intimate relationship with God, the more that Jesus Christ is at work within us, and that transformation inside of us will produce both inward and outward holiness. He talked about this. I love this phrase. He talked about holiness of heart and life. He believed that in whatever way God is at work in our hearts, the change that takes place internally will show up in our behavior as an increased observable love for God and for neighbor. Wesley's doctrine of holiness was grounded in scriptural commands, like in the book of Leviticus, where we're told to be holy as the Lord God is holy, or as Jesus commanded, to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. But Wesley also taught that in order for us to move on to this perfection, this state of perfection in love, that we must take on two attributes that move us closer to the holiness that he exhibited for us to follow. Wesley said this, humility and patience are the surest proofs of the increase of love. Paul, in Philippians 2, described humility this way. He said, if then there is any comfort in Christ any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility 
regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, we have to be careful. God doesn't expect us to debase ourselves or to beat ourselves up because of our sinfulness. That's not humility. That's humiliation. God will not humiliate you. Humility is not berating ourselves or even saying, well, since I can't save myself, then I just might might as well not do anything. That's not humility either. It's simply being willing to acknowledge that what we ultimately need, we cannot provide for ourselves. That's humility. Humility is not the goal. Holiness is the goal. But it can only come through humility. There are three reasons that I want to share with you this morning why I think humility is necessary. And the first reason is because apart from humility, we fail to repent of our sins truly. Until we come to terms with the fact that we constantly make choices that fail to reflect that we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we'll never be at the place where the repentance that we offer to God is true repentance. We must humble ourselves and admit that sin has us trapped and we can't get away from it on our own. And we need Jesus' righteousness to set us straight with God. In 1 John chapter 1 we read, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Secondly, apart from humility, we fail to experience the immensity of God's grace. Until we recognize our sinfulness, brokenness, and the inability to save ourselves, we'll never entirely rely on God's grace and forgiveness to save us. We'll keep trying to win God's love, trying to earn God's favor by trying to do the things that we think might be pleasing to God and never rely on His saving grace and His grace alone. John Wesley, one of his favorite passages in Scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast, so that no one may be proud, so that no one may be filled with pride, that they somehow or another have done better than anybody else to earn God's grace. But thirdly, apart from humility, we fail to grow in that continuing effect of God's sanctifying grace. We need God's Holy Spirit to guide us. We need God to show us the way that we should live. 
or otherwise we'll just continually hit those dead ends that the choices, our sinful choices, inevitably lead us to come to. The Scripture says, And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. We can't even grow in sanctifying grace apart from God's grace. We can't even become better apart from God helping us to become better. And so it's not our own doing. So how do we stay humble in a world filled with self-righteousness and pride? It's very simple. We must see ourselves as equally unworthy of God's grace as everybody else in the world. And yet, we find ourselves grateful that God is willing to extend His grace to us and to everybody else. I think this is what Jesus was getting at when after chastising the guests at the dinner party about scrambling for the best seats, he turned his attention to the host, to the leader of the Pharisees, and he said this, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors. In case they might invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Charles Hoffaker says the challenge that Jesus presents to us is to move beyond our comfort zones. However, if we're honest, we're all more comfortable being around our people, people who are just like us. They look like us. They think like us. They vote like us. They vacation like us. And if there are any differences Rarely do those differences threaten our sense of security. Jesus challenged his dinner host to consider branching out the next time with his guest list and invite people that he's not comfortable being around. He specifically mentioned the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And the one thing that all of these people have in common is their culture decided that they must have been cursed by God or otherwise they wouldn't be blind, lame, crippled, or poor. These are the people that the host never would have had for dinner in a million years. Jesus not only calls us to humble ourselves and to interact with people who are different, but He demonstrates this by humbling Himself. And He takes the lowest seat of all when He 
sits on the cross. He demonstrates humility, as Paul said in Philippians, by becoming obedient even to death on a cross, the most hideous, the most shameful way for a person to die. And because he humbled himself, I'm welcome at the heavenly banquet. You are welcome at the heavenly banquet. And everybody else who wants to be there is welcomed at the heavenly banquet. Not because they're worthy. Not because we're worthy. But because He is worthy. Jesus reminds us that there are two kinds of religion. The first kind encourages us to stay cloistered in our comfort zones, those well-defined safe places where everything is predictable, where everyone agrees with us, where nothing threatens us, and no one has to grapple with the expansiveness, the extraordinary nature of God's grace and unconditional love for all His children. This kind of religion appeals to those who prefer the seat of honor at the feast. They've earned their position at the table. And if others want to join them, then they have to earn it too. But Jesus came to show us a more vibrant and exciting religion. Jesus' kind of religion doesn't mean we're always outside of our comfort zone. But at some point, we have to get outside our comfort zone, like he did, and to take a walk on the wild side and invite those who are outside the gate to join the feast. It's not satisfied, this kind of religion is not satisfied with being a safe place with reserved seating and a respectable crowd. Because like Jesus, it prefers to hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners and to be called names by those who see that as unclean and unacceptable. But one of the reasons that Jesus liked to hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners is because they're more fun to be with because they have no pretense, no protocol. They are fully aware that if not for Jesus, they couldn't be there. That awareness represents the humility that leads to holiness. A recognition that none of us makes it to the gospel feast except through Jesus. And if He welcomes us, then we can very well be certain that He's got to accept everybody else because we're no better than them. Humble people make good disciples. Proud people make lousy followers. And the question for us is, are we among the proud or are we among the humble? And where would Jesus have us to be? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.org.